Crane was far more familiar with the P-39 Era Cobra fighter, which could fit under the shadow of a B-24 wing. How's it going, Leon? yelled Hoskin over the hangar din. Hoskin's baby-faced cheeks seemed perpetually chapped by the weather, but he had a closer relationship with cold than most from outside, which is what longtime Alaskans call the rest of the world. In the Hoskin family home back in Maine, there was no heat in the upstairs bedrooms. The family oven-baked soapstone to use as bed warmers. We look good to go, said Hoskin. Crane gave a thumbs up with his sheepskin-lined mittens. We're good, Crane shouted back. Crane and Hoskin left the hangar and climbed aboard the B-24 through the open bomb bay. They first wanted to make sure all was fine with First Lieutenant James B. Seibert, a prop specialist in charge of the equipment to measure the feathering tests and monitor related aspects, such as engine oil pressure. Seibert, a new arrival from Wright Field in Ohio, set up in the rear of the plane. Hoskin and Crane then squeezed along the narrow catwalk through the center of the aircraft. They ducked past the radio operator's post and into the cockpit. On their radio, they rechecked the crew. All set, said Seibert. Roger, added the radio operator staff sergeant Ralph Wenz, who was in the nook directly behind the cockpit. All good, said the crew chief, Master Sergeant Richard Pompeo, who assisted with takeoff procedures from a hatch behind Hoskin. Outside, a ground crew engineer manually rotated the propellers on each of the engines to clear any excess fuel or oil in the combustion chambers. A fire extinguisher was always on hand. B-24 engines had been known to flare up when the batteries were switched on. Crane stuck his head out the cockpit to check the flaps and rudders. Crane jabbed the engine prime pump and made sure the fuel mixture was on auto-lean increasing the air level in the fuel to avoid fouling the spark plugs. Hoskin pulled back the throttle to about one-third open. The first engine to fire up was number three, which was closest to the co-pilot and powered the hydraulics. Engine four, farther out on the co-pilot's wing, was next. Then engines two and one on the pilot's side. Crane checked the engine temperature and oil pressure, all fine. Just before 9.40 a.m., the iceberg Inez taxied out. A salmon-colored smudge of dawn painted the southeast sky. The sun, however, wouldn't poke above the horizon for another hour. Crane looked over at Hoskin. Not bad, Crane smiled. We got off on time for once. In winter, crews lobbied hard to be among the first flights of the day. After a dozen or so takeoffs, the runway could be shrouded in super-chilled exhaust clouds. It's an effect known well in Alaska as caribou fog, describing how herds become covered in an icy mist from their own breath. Crane flicked the fuel mixture to auto-rich, cutting down on the air ratio in the fuel lines. External flaps were set at a 20% angle. Hoskin pulled down on the four throttle levers.
The big plane lumbered down the runway toward takeoff speed, about 110 miles per hour. It was only slightly more than needed to get the P-39 off the ground. But to Crane, it felt much slower in the bomber, sitting more than 17 feet above the tarmac instead of hugging the ground in the fighter. He kept a careful eye on the supercharger pressure, which registers the flow of compressed air into the engine for greater efficiency. The nose lifted. Hoskin pulled back on the yoke. The iceberg Inez climbed.